Welcome to Cloudlandia. Hello, Mr. Sullivan. Oh, my heart. My heart was racing there. <laughs> you heard me dial in and then it couldn't, it wouldn't connect me. Yeah, that's right. Uh, two or three times, actually. Well, here we are. Here we are. And it just shows you the difference between Cloudlandia and the mainland. Oh, my goodness. You had, a, a, enduring. you had a major bout of mainland. Yeah, we really did. And up until this morning, we have been uh, without power since Wednesday. Yeah. So no, no electricity. Luckily, we ended up, but we had Hurricane Ian, which came through Florida here for anybody not familiar with the timing or what had just happened. <laughs> but yeah, on the mainland, they're still susceptible to weather. <laughs> so <laughs> we ended up, it was very funny though, because I was doing a, I was doing a Breakthrough Blueprint event at Celebration, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And, you know, it couldn't have been nicer Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday, it was, we cut out early about noon on Wednesday, and we actually had about four of the people who were going to be at the event couldn't, or you know, rescheduled or didn't think it was smart to be coming down to Florida in the middle of a hurricane. So they rescheduled to December, but we ended up, you know, we had a great, we had a great time. And you'd never really know if it wasn't for the news, you would never have really known what was happening. Like I, I was very conscious of you know, this constant, for about a week, this was being built up, you know, and you see on the news, mm -hmm. the trackers and this, you know, giant red buzzsaw shaped, ominous looking, you know, big storm making its way, tracking through up the Caribbean and into the Gulf of Mexico. And then of course, the cone of where it could possibly go it, engulfed the entire state of Florida. And we in Winter Haven were actually on the heart of the path of where it was supposed yeah. to go. So <clears> you <throat> only got the, you got the front winds and the back winds as you went through the circle, right? That's exactly right. By the end of it, but by, so we got, I got back to Valhalla here at, Six o'clock by six o'clock on Wednesday, it was starting to rain like a little heavier than what the normal kind of rain that we get, and it was a little windy. And then seven o'clock, our power went out, and it was very windy and stormy all through the night. And then when we woke up in the morning, it was actually pretty much over. And what we realized is that it had kind of taken a right turn a little bit and skirted a little bit to the south and west or east of us. So we got just real wind damage and lots of lots of tree debris. Like in my neighborhood there's lots of big hundred year old, you know, trees and they're not unlike your neighborhood in terms of the size of the trees and stuff. And so a lot of the leaves and, uh, you know, drying branches all fell off. And at the front gate, we have a gated community. And in the gate wall, like the entrance wall, is brick and done in like an ornamental pattern that the wind knocked over one section of the brick wall. Mm which made me rethink the whole three little pigs advice, you know, <laughs> <laughs> build your house of bricks. They said, yes. <laughs> and <he often> <laughs> so that just gives you the idea. Yeah. But, but usually yeah. a house has four other walls and they're connected to each other. That's so I think true. that's actually, <laughs> it's not just a wall yeah. taking yeah. the full brunt yeah. of it. Yeah. But yeah. the funny thing again <laughs> was how trained we are as humans. Just um, mm -hmm. was here with me. He came to the event actually, and we were working on his new uh, private work.com uh, project, which is great. 
And he, we went out on Thursday morning. I'm sorry, I catch who it was. I didn't catch who it was. Oh, sorry, Joe Stump. Oh, Joe, that's great. Yeah, great to see Joe. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. And so, my best. Uh, Thursday morning, we went out to investigate the damage, do a little drive around town to see what had happened, and if we could see why our power was out. And of course, there were, you know, big trees that had fallen over the power line in a lot of places, and we were out looking to see if any place was open to get coffee. Uh, and so we were, as I thought to myself, okay, well, the Wawa might be open, which is a local or a chain of like convenience and gas stores. So we drove down the street, down the main part of Winter Haven, and it looked like two things. That Dunkin' Donuts, it looked like there was, you know, there was a line of cars around the drive through and it, so thinking, of course, Dunkin' Donuts is open. And then I thought, well, we'll just go to Wawa. It looks like they're open. Lots of activity in there. And we pull in. And it was just so funny because all the activity was bringing other activity. Everybody was pulling in thinking, oh, yeah, Wawa looks open. Everybody's pulling in and realizing that they're not open. So it's just a bunch of people, social proof, pulling in seeing that they're not open and turning around and leaving. <laughs> so it was very uh, funny. And then Dunkin' Donuts mm. turns out the same thing. People were just going through the drive-thru realizing there's nobody there, but they were in line. Everybody else was. Very funny just to see the uh, you know, predictability of everybody. It's fun. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon of the drop in death to natural causes like storms or fires or earthquakes or, you know, the big climactic events that occur. And it's very interesting. And the research is pretty, it's pretty widespread. Um, that's from all over the planet and it's uh, consistent that the death rate from events like this has dropped 95% in the last 100 years. And the reason is because of the early detection and the news and the warnings start going out a long time beforehand. That people make their adjustments and they, you know, and, you know, from this storm, there will be people saying, you know, maybe, you know, we should be on higher ground, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, which in Florida will probably get you ten feet higher. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. You know, like that's the funny thing. I always joke that we talked about that box tower being the the highest. Point yeah, but that's taken. You you cannot build a house on that hill. You can. I mean, mm. I'm sorry, but it's owned by somebody else, and they won't let you. That's right. You know. They won't let you, you know, they won't let you build a house up there. But they, the other thing is that you'll get blown off anyway with the wind. So you have to take your choices of how you want to be discomforted. But it's the east coast of Canada got hit very badly with the storm before this was the weekend before that that came through. And I haven't been in touch with Hamish now for 10 days. His wow. power is out on Prince Edward Island. And so... We're going to have to really hustle when he comes back because we have a deadline on the 20th of October. So it might be the Tuesday. Is the carrier pigeon network still working? Is the carrier pigeon network still working? Because well, you know what's working? Is, yeah, I mean, if if you have a generator, Starlink is working fine. Okay. So, you know, and Star and said he's going to position a whole series of Starlink satellites over Florida. So oh, that, nice. uh so that you can pick it up, but you need power for the, you know, the ground receivers. So you're going to have to have a generator or something. We have generators in our houses here in Toronto and in Chicago, yeah. and we're going to put one up on the in the cottage. I think we'll get one of those power walls, you know, where the electricity is stored. Yeah, so you get solar 20, and 20, uh, power. Yeah. You get 24 hours of power. Actually, I don't think you need the solar. I think it's just that you can feed the electricity and that stores Oh, up, you can uh, store it in there. Okay, right, right. Yeah, right. you just store it. And you get 24 hours. It's a 24-hour battery, basically, for oh, not, every, 
not everything in your house, but you would have, you know, your lights would work, your hot water yeah. would work, you know, your refrigerator and your stove, yeah. stove, stove would work. So I think we'll do that, you know, as we go. As soon as we switch all the wood burning fireplaces over to gas fireplaces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah. Well, Mr. DeSantis gets uh, gets to prove whether he's on top of this sort of thing. So he's right. Yeah. I mean, he's being watched like a whole oh, hawk because the yeah. the those who are against him are watching him like a hawk. So he's under very strict supervision by the media who don't want to see him going mm-hmm. any further than governor of Florida. So, but this, this, he looks like he's up to it. And yeah, you know. I've heard some just recently, some speculation of Trump's DeSantis ticket. <laughs> I don't know whether no. that. Will no, I think that's the way it's going to, no, I totally agree because it won't serve DeSantis to go up against Trump because no. Trump's created a move. Trump's created a movement, okay? right? And he would do himself harm if he went up. But if he just decided to be, first of all, if he was vice president, he would only be vice president for a maximum of four years because yeah. Trump's already. And uh, but I think it'd be a powerful ticket. It would be a powerful ticket. You know, and I'm trying to think of who on the other side would run, and it's hard hard to figure Gavin out. Gavin Newsom, who. that's the uh, that's the cry. Well, so, that that's big, and that's certainly the most exciting prospect in Kevin Newsom's brain. But you know, it's really interesting. New York or California have always been the two biggest states. So New York right. was the biggest state for a hundred years or a hundred and fifty years, and then. California became the biggest state and they don't Americans don't elect presidents from the biggest states. I think Teddy Roosevelt was the first and that was a hundred and that was a hundred and ten years in. Wow. And then probably I guess Franklin Roosevelt would have been from New York, so that would have been two. And then Trump is the next person from New York. And then so far, California only Reagan. California is the only he's the only president. I guess Nixon, but I'm not sure Nixon was actually Nixon. I think he spent most of his time in Coral Gables or something like that in Florida. So, uh, but Reagan, you know, I think Reagan, you know, Reagan was a Hollywood actor and he lived there for twenty or thirty years. But generally, the big states don't get the presidents. I mean, out of forty. This is number 46. We have 45. I think Biden is 40, 45. Yep. And it's very interesting when a president, we've only had it once. So it happened once where you had a president, you know, elected once, was defeated and came back and was elected again. That was Garfield in the 1880s. Oh, and uh, But they're, they're, they constitute two presidencies when they come back to so, if Trump came back and won, he'd be number 44 and number 40, I think 44 and 46. And my, my numbers oh. might be off there. Right, right. There. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Bush was 42. So, yeah. Yeah. 42, um, 43. It, yeah, 44. Yeah. I think the funny thing, you know, politics always to me, is just, it's just such an interesting game to watch unfold. But somebody was telling me about, about Justin Trudeau in Canada after the hurricane in Newfoundland announcing this you know, billions of dollars in support or $8 billion maybe of support in Ukraine, pledging that money, kicking <laughs> off fundraiser for Newfoundland for, <laughs> for all the devastation from the hurricane. Oh, and then yeah. they were thinking, like, that's so... Well, you know, it's surprising that he's not more on the ball there because all his voters are in the Maritimes. I mean, the, yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't. He doesn't get a vote west of Ontario, and Quebec is down to very low right now because they have a new kind of yeah. 
you know, Quebec party and Ford had really, I mean, a conservative here in Ontario. I mean, I think the, the liberals had seven seats and I think now they have maybe 10, you know, they just got wiped out in the previous election, you know. Ford's great, you know, I mean, he's a proof of what an early pot entrepreneur can become if he just applies himself. Wow, right. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, I have a friend. He was a pot dealer, illegal, of course, thirty years ago, and his dealer was the present. His dealer was the present premier of Ontario, which shows how what foresight the premier had. He could see yeah. that this was a coming trend. Now, now, now you can't go a block in Toronto without coming across a cannabis store. Is cannabis federally legal now, or is it still a problem? Oh, yeah, federally, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. straight across the board, yeah. And it's weird because if you're leaving Ontario and going to Michigan, you get stopped and they say you don't have any cannabis on board because in the U.S. it's state by state, so um, right. you can be detained for hours at the bridge, at the bridges into Michigan, you can be de- detained for hours if there's even a hint. They have the little... They have the dogs, you know, they have the dogs and the, the dogs know, dogs know pot. Well, hey, was your, how was your trip? We, we're, I forget where you oh, were. Oh, we had a great time. Diego. Yeah, we had a great time. No, we were just in Santa Monica and we okay. went to two premieres, uh, movie premieres in Beverly Hills and Nick okay. Nanton, to uh, both oh, of right, them. Right. And, and they were terrific. One was Nick Nanton, it was um, Chris Voss. Yeah. which was called Tactical Impact, Tactical Empathy, Tactical okay. Empathy. Terrific, terrific documentary. I mean, and, you know, Chris is movie starish. I mean, he has a movie star. And, yeah. you know, he's got sort of a Clint Eastwood kind yeah. of a persona. Uh, and, and it was just terrifically put together, very gripping, because it show, I didn't know all the work that he did in South America and in the Philippines, you know, and dealing with terrorists and everything like that. So it was, it was really, it was terrific. And then the next night, we heard he was doing another one the next night. It's not a strategic coach client, but it was fascinating. And it was about how 50, it was a statistic, you know, statistics are, are, they're not facts there, but they're, you know they they try to be convincing arguments but this yeah. one was a compa- this one was a compelling offer oh, that yeah. 50 that 54% of american adults do not read above a 6th grade level mm. which i find which it's one of those statistics which i find plausible yeah i do too and that you I constantly do. have to be reminded and not i don't know if that's anything you know, condemning the education system. I think that's just natural. A lot of it is capacity that I'm always to remind that IQ is a quotient and the average is 100. And we tend to skew and hang out with people on the long tail of the high end of the IQ self-serve. And so you kind of get skewed that you know, we kind of think that everybody's like that, but then when you realize, I mean, that that's not reality. Yeah, and I would say that a hundred today is smarter than a hundred IQ a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because it's updated, and one of the things they think that in America, maybe uniquely, is the people know stuff through a lot more and increasing mediums than reading. Reading was the main medium. Yeah. Access. So, you know, it's that they're not literate from a strictly book reading test, you know, book reading Mm -hmm. test, but they're, doesn't mean they're not aware. It doesn't mean that they are not aware of things. It's just that they didn't learn it through reading. They learned it through television. They learned it through movies. They learned it through Popular culture, popular <laughs> culture. They learned it through telephone calls. They learned it through 
you know, obviously radio and yeah. they learned it through the internet. They learned it through the internet and, and, and I preceded virtually all those except radio. I grew up with radio. Yeah. But I, yeah and I was firmly bookified by the time yeah, right. radio and television, radio television came along. And I think I've told you the very useful piece of advice that my mother gave me when I first started first grade, which I did not enjoy, felt it was a severe reduction of freedom when I went to first grade. Yeah, right. I would have played in the woods, yeah. Compared with the six years of wandering I had done before then. But my mother said, I know you don't like school, but I'm going to tell you why you want to go to school is because you're going to learn how to read. And if you can read, you can go anywhere with your brain. I was, mm-hmm. I found that a compelling offer. Yeah, exactly. That's funny. I hadn't thought about it like that, but that's, uh, that's true. And so even, I mean, here's the later in life test of the power of the, that early experience was that I've given up. T- I'm in my fifth year now, no TV, not a minute, not a minute of TV since yeah. July of 2018. Got 800 hours back a year and used 400 of them for reading. So it kind of tells yeah. you when I was freed up, I went back to the original skill. That's so smart. You know, it's so I was realizing when we were without internet and without, you know, power, we didn't have any television. And, you know, it was so, even Luba commented, you know, on Thursday night and Friday, Wednesday night, Thursday night, we were sitting, you know, in the living room by candlelight, just talking. Kind of neat. Kind of neat. Yeah, exactly. And it was really like Joe was here with us and we were having really great, conversations and that's something that yeah you don't kind of i noticed myself that we're kind of programmed to fill any silence or downtime you know with a screen somehow but was without those because i realized after the after the hurricane when the power went out we had no access to really know what was going on or get any updates or anything we just woke up and it was over, and then it was, we didn't have any power, and then we're just waiting to see, when does the power come on? And this morning is the answer. <laughs> so, so nice. Uh, How was your, so you had, you, you had phone during that period of time, though, right? I had my phone, yeah, with the cell phone, but no juice to power the phone. You know, we have a generator that we would turn on, you know, over To power up your phone. To power up, yeah. So we would power up the phones, and then it would run my CPAP and stuff. But that's but that's the extent of the power that we had. Yeah. Luckily, it was yeah. cool, so it wasn't oppressively hot, you know, which it could get here in the summer. So it was yeah. the weather cooled right down. It was actually uneventful, you know. We got through it, and now we did a little experience transformer on some things that would have been nice to have and we will have for next time. Yeah. Who really got clobbered from your knowledge? Maybe I know Fort more. Myers. <laughs> Maybe Fort, Fort Myers. Maybe Fort Myers. Yeah. Fort Myers is on the West Coast, right? Yes. It's north of Naples. Yeah. And, apparently uh, that's where it came ashore. The heart yeah. of it came ashore. So yeah, it, cut diagonally, place, yeah. it cut diagonally across the state then. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And then it, it was, went it was you, you were hoping that it was going to be, yeah, you never know with hurricanes. I mean, when you're in Florida, you're hoping that if it is coming up from Cuba and rounding the West Coast, you hope it's going to be a hook. Right. Using golf terms, but it, sometimes it's a slice. Yeah. And so what ended up, it went through the state, through the state, because Florida's not that wide, so it moved all the way no. through. And then it reformed into a hurricane and went up into South Carolina. Yeah. And so it must have done another curve then when it went up. Yeah. Yeah. It must have. <laughs> They're tricky, those hurricanes. Yeah. Can't take your eye off yeah. them for a minute. Yeah. It's really interesting. And uh, boy, it was going to 
skilled trades, I'll tell you, that's where the future is because it's going to be a lot of need for skilled trades and for, <laughs> Holy for the next had, uh, year. Yeah, so watching the, uh, we're with Tico, Tampa Electric Company, and they have emergency response teams from Texas and, you know, all other states. Tennessee, everybody was, you know, descending on Florida, you know, thousands of people to repair all of this. And they, to their credit, they had at the peak 296,000 outages in their area, you know, in the their whole wherever Tico yeah. coverage area. And it was amazing to, that they got all of these, almost all of them rectified, you know, and that's. Yeah, that's I was reading something. the numbers. This was just, you know, just checking my news sources this morning, which are Internet sources. And they said yeah. there's 48,000 linemen, electric linemen in Florida mm-hmm. right now going full bore, going full bore. Yeah. And, you know, the states really respond. I mean, they're in communication with each other. I think probably the that East Coast and South Coast states probably stay in touch with each other. The governors do more than probably any other section of the United States. I think that's there's a lot of coordination there because the hurricanes, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, you're everybody. I mean, I remember one of our phone calls. We just got through August without a hurricane. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, yeah. uh, and saying, whew, this might be one of those, you know, <laughs> and then this, one, oh, this the might be a ever. non-hurricane season, but you come through. But actually, there are a lot worse. So I was looking it up because the global climate, the global climate people, of course, descended on this as proof positive. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, so things are getting worse. But actually, I was looking at the records and the, for, as far as hurricanes go, it looks like the 60s, 50s, almost 60 years ago. That decade from 60 to 70 had the biggest and the worst storms and uh, most deaths, you know, in any one decade back until early you know, but of course, there's a lot more people living there now. And, uh, you know, 60 years later, Florida's got, you know, probably five times the number of people than there were in the 60s. So, yeah, you know, and yeah. growing and grow and growing. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, you know, if you're only getting ready, uh, rid of them at 50 at a time to, you know, Martha's Vineyard, you know, you're not going <laughs> to. <laughs> Right. That was so funny. It was so funny because it shows you how people just don't take a, take advantage of a opportunity. That if I, you know, was living on Martha's Vineyard and there were about 10 of us and we had our mansions, I would have hired all 50 of them. I would have put them up and said, look, I got a whole series of chores here. You know, I'll yeah. just put them to work right away. And it would have softened the what looked like a black eye for Martha's Vineyard, you know, like they freaked out and people said, oh, we can't have, I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. it shows yeah. a certain, shows a certain snowflake tend, you know, sort of fragility of, on the part of people there, you know, yeah, they're, they've got like a bubble. I've been there. It's not very interesting. The Cape is more interesting. So right. um, Bill Maher had a great line. He said, you know, first of all, he said, you know, here's what happens to refugees to the United States, illegal refugees. Mm-hmm. They pick you up, they feed you, they tell you what's going to happen. You're going to go on a plane flight. You're going to go, and we're sending you to Martha's Vineyard. Now, I don't know if you know Martha's Vineyard, but this is one of the great exclusive rich spots in America. Okay, mm-hmm. but you got to sign. You got to sign the contract that you're willing to go. And so 50 of them, they arrived there and he said, so what's wrong with this? What's wrong with this? You're illegal to the United States and you get a free flight to one of America's wealthy pleasure spots. I mean, yeah. yeah. Now, there's another three million immigrants illegal in Florida and they're. They watch this and they've got their fingers crossed because they're hoping 
they'll be next for this fight. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and he says, and then it's not quite right. So they, where do they ship them? Cape Cod. They send them to Cape Cod. You know, he says, if they had sent them to Maine, Nantucket, and Cape Cod, it would be the same as the cruise that I bought for my parents, the luxury <laughs> cruise I bought for my parents. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. But it really shows you the optics can really be wrong, depending on how people respond to sudden surprises. And, you know, no, I mean, if they'd just been really cool for it, sure, we can take care of it. We got people, we got beds for them and everything else. I mean, it's going to have to get sorted out. You yeah. know, some of the restaurants have kicked in and we got food for them and we got clothes for them and, you know, and everything else, you know, and, you know. And everything else, but they didn't. They were a sanctuary island that this sort of thing didn't happen. It was smart on DeSantis' part. He knows where the nerve centers are on the other mm-hmm. side. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's really smart. He's really smart. I mean, I've watched mm-hmm. him now for a couple of years. He's very, he's really on top of his game. Yeah, it's going to be, he's, it's a mixed, you know, of course, mixed reaction here. In sure. Florida, yeah, as everywhere, you know, like as that was what the it, it's so it, politics as I'm watching, you know, it all unfold kind of thing. It's just especially in this in the last six or seven years has mm-hmm. become really like so much more second guess or watchdog or I don't know what the right word is, but because everybody's got a voice now and that. That is almost like the, you know, the public opinion thing is very real and public, you know. It's total. They have a voice. It's total. It's total. I mean. Yeah. 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 I mean. Yeah. I think the what I've noticed recently is that it's not who you're for. It's who you're against. I'm against this person more than I'm against this person. Okay. So I don't think that I don't think that I'm for somebody at least in the present circumstances, really plays any part. Yeah, I agree yeah, with I you. Think That's it's... why negative. I used to think that was, you know, like trickery and stuff. But the truth is that there's a valid you know, genetic reason why we're, why that works is because we're programmed to value, be more on alert for negative information than for positive. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the the newest Peter Zion book, The End of the World, is just the beginning. I have now read completely four times, and I'm starting on my fifth time. Wow, because he he just has so much contrarian information in that book. I've never seen a book that page after page is just nobody else thinks this way, you know, and first of all, he's the rare writer who's a very entertaining writer, but on YouTube, he's amazingly entertaining. I mean, he's talking about negative (laughs) stuff. I mean, and he's funny. He's really funny, you know, and he's, if he, I mean, if you just took it as a form of performance art, he's at the top of his class. You know, Mm -hmm. here. And his whole point was that the last 75 years, 77, since 1945, has been an artificial world, which was basically set up by the U.S. to coop up the Soviet Union, you know, to actually, I mean, the Soviets built an iron curtain to keep their people from escaping, but the U.S., through all of its security alliances, build a prosperity wall to keep the Soviet Union cooped up, you know, mm. and yeah. and pretty soon the news got into all the Soviet countries that life was outside of Soviet control was a lot better than life inside Soviet control. So he right. got that across. But he said everything in the world was geared to this agreement, and there was four generations of people. So he said the first generation knew what it was about, the second generation kind of were informed what it was about. The third generation didn't know there was an agreement. And the fourth generation has no idea that this actually happened. Okay, we're in the 
right at the end of the fourth generation right now. It's about, you know, yeah. it's about 70 to 72 years, 18 years per generation. You're at the end of four. But yeah. he said everything was geared to the U.S. basically providing global security for free trade mm-hmm. anywhere in the world. Any, anything you want to make, anything you want to produce, and you want to send it to someplace else, we'll guarantee that you can get the supplies for this. We'll guarantee you get the energy. We'll guarantee that you get all the food supplies you need and everything like this. You won't have to worry about pirates. You won't have to worry about war. We'll guarantee complete and total peace and security. Yeah. And so there was this notion that it was really a global world now. It wasn't a national world. It's not like the United States doesn't really matter. Borders, you know, and you heard this. You know, you, you were hearing this at tech conferences. You were hearing this. You know, at media conferences, you were hearing this at economic conferences. It's one, just one big global marketplace now. But that was only true as long as the Americans were interested in it. And about when the Soviet Union collapsed, half the reason why they were interested in it just disappeared. It disappeared in 24 hours. But they made such a big commitment militarily and, you know, with trade agreements and all that there was a process where starting probably with Bill Clinton, 92, he came in. He says, you know, we're just not going to pay the bills for the rest of the world having this great right. thing where we don't get any benefit out of it. And it's literally true. The U.S. really didn't get that much economic benefit out of it because America really doesn't need foreign trade to have a great economy. Right. You know, that 90% of the U.S. economy is just Americans making stuff and selling stuff to other Americans. And we got energy supplies, we have food supplies, we have nobody's going to invade us, you know, you got nobody's going to come across the Atlantic, across the Pacific. Even the Mexicans, it's two hundred miles of desert and mountains before you get to a you know, a real urban center in Mexico. So it's you know, Monterey I think is the closest city and that's two hundred miles south of the border. And besides we needed their labor, you know, so it was it was good, you know. A lot of Mexicans came in, and that was great. And yeah. then Canadians, if you had any worries that they were a danger to America, they federalized pot smoking, so that sort of took all the danger away. Wow, right. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. <laughs> hey, right. Hey, weren't we going to? What was the? We had some idea. We're going to. I know. I don't know. It's something like you and me. We get our hiking packs and everything, and we we invade North Dakota. <laughs> <laughs> North Dakota, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, the U.S. is just. I mean, nuclear missiles are another story. But generally speaking, you're not going to see any foreign amphibious landings anywhere in the United States. So they don't have to worry about their own, their own security. Right. And so my sense is that so many jobs and so many mortgages and so many, you know, so many credit accounts in the entire United States were based on a international agreement that nobody even remembers was based on that and was based that there was always going to be global trade things are always going to be cheap you know and all of a sudden behind the scenes six administrations have been pulling the plug on this you know and then covid i think just was a thing that tipped it over the edge yeah and well and a lot of the i mean cloudlandia for sure has really changed. yeah that's a whole new that's a whole new development yeah that's yeah. a whole new development yeah because now you know you look at the global access to capabilities in the cloud instantly <laughs> we just had with uh, with 90 minute book we had someone do a book with us but they have a firm that does you know, similar to the way people have Philippines and India, other 
offshore kind of assistance type of work. They've run this same thing in, in Zimbabwe. And so we have a couple of people, we have a couple of people that work on our 90 minute book team from Zimbabwe. And that's a, so really you think about, you know, covering the globe and you think now you can even, you know, if you work out the time zones, you could really have 24 hour coverage, just kind of working your way through the different, the different time zones. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing, what the thing I really is think. that 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 part of the economy, though. I mean, we're still in a very rarefied world. You and I are. I mean, we're comfortable insofar as we've explored this world and we've every yeah. step of progress we've made in this world, we've profited from the move. I mean, we're, you know, I mean, but we still do our, you know, breakthrough blueprints in person. Yeah. We still do our workshops in prison person and you know and everything like that so you know we're sort of straddling the line between the two worlds so there's a lot of people who live totally i mean from the the life they live you know they live in communities where everybody else is in cloudlandia as far as the work they do their social life is basically a cloudlandia social life with very protected bubbly kind of places they they go to. Mm-hmm. And so they don't really encounter the material world at all, except when there's a hurricane. <laughs> then they right. then they encounter it. Because when the power goes out, that's a that's actually an email from the mainland not to forget about <laughs> it. <laughs> hey, yeah, don't forget about us. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah, you realize it's just though. I'm really having it's a, such an amazing time to be alive right now. Yeah. I mean, just to think yeah. of all the, you know, there's n- never been a better time for visionary to be alive than right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. With capability and yeah. reach. And with I mean, capability. Newly, I'll tell you what, Dan, the thing that's really, I think, the biggest game changing thought for me and you know as long as I've been alive here is this the Russell Barkley distinction in about A D and the executive function, you know. And that to me is when I realized and heard him I read about, that by the way. Thanks for the sending the video. Yeah. And wasn't that like have you ever heard it described like that? Like even no. in all the things that Ned you know, Ned Hollowell talks about the need for what he calls, you know, a bobsled run to keep you on track compared to my natural state, which would be roaming around like a toddler at a picnic. And that setting up that external, the bobsled run, that to me, it, I get it and I understood that, but it's the way that, that Russell Barkley explained it as why, you know, treating it like a disability in that way of no different than a diabetes or something that needs external treatment and setting up this idea of the, the exoskeleton is an amazing thing. And I thought about, yeah. I think that part of your real, you know, you were, fortunate in teaming up with Babs, who seems on in every way to be the perfect exoskeleton for, you know, surrounding you with the support. Yeah. To help build that team around everything. Yeah. Yeah. And fortunately, I mean, she's as AD as I am. I mean, she's, mm-hmm. but she's AD in a different way. I mean, Differently able. Right, right. Yeah. And it shows up, but the, uh, she's just, you know, her, we all do bypasses. In other words, that we're prevented yeah. from, we're prevented early from applying ourselves in normal yeah. conventional ways. <laughs> uh, and so we pick alternative. Actually, the, second movie that Nick has produced is called The Truth About Reading. And what he shows is individuals who are incredibly successful in their 
there was a guy there and he was an entrepreneur. He had a hundred million dollar company, but he couldn't read. He couldn't read. He had done everything in his life. He was 60 and he had gotten to the top and he's considered a thought leader in his industry and everything else, but he can't read. So he went back. There's a adult education process now. It's six days, 11 hours. So, you know, you get a break, you get two hours, one hour, two hours, but you go through five nights, you sleep five nights and he can't. And at the end of six days, he could read and write at the level of his intelligence, fully adult intelligence. And, you know, he was on stage. So Nick brought him as social proof, you know, afterwards he came up and he talked and he said, but he said, I was an incredible achiever, but I thought I was a phony because I couldn't read. He says, all my life, all my achievement, I get no value out of the achievement because I always thought I was a phony. And I was sitting there as an entrepreneur, as a coach of, you know, I make my living off successful phonies. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, I mean, hey, I think you're missing a big point here that the fact is that what really showed up was his intelligence, but he was forced by a disability to develop his intelligence in a different way. And uh, and so it was really interesting to see it. First of all, I mean, it was very moving. And a lot of the ones where he'd be an example of a success, a lot of the, you know, the unsuccessful ones are in prison or they you know, they committed suicide or they're drug addicts Mm -hmm. or they're, you know, and everything else. So, I mean, you can always pick, you can always cherry pick what you want to prove your point. And, and, but he was very moving because he not only, not only demonstrated where you can get without reading, but then he agreed to go and learn how to read. And he said, it's like, He says it's the discovery of a hundred times bigger world now that he can read. And I would think that would be true and in everything. And, but anyway, the thing about it is that wouldn't have happened in any country except the U S because the U S gives people so many different ways that you can succeed. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's the America's greatest strength that's really Shitty educational system. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's got two big strengths. It's got really crummy government and it's got a really shitty educational system. And that's what keeps the country going because it leaves so much room for oddballs to make a good living. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That would be a that would be a neat. We ought to be interviewed on that. Joe ought to have us. You know, we ought to do a three way interview on the importance of crummy government and shitty education for entrepreneurial <laughs> success. <laughs> Being oddballs, exactly. Yeah, but I think there's so much looseness in the American system. It's not a tight, you know, it's not a tight system. It's, but you think about being able to, I mean, you know, reading what a amazing like you have read way more than me but i'm I'm an avid reader you've read a lot more in certain areas than i have that's true yeah marketing advertising yeah 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 i'm a i'm an apprentice you know i'm just on my first day of learning a new trade when it comes to the amount of reading that you've done there I was thinking about Joe and I were talking about the books and stuff, and I remember I, I seemed. We're to talking have, about Joe Pollock, by the way. We're talking about Joe Pollock. Yeah, we're talking about Joe Pollock, and I just now was talking about Joe Stump. That Joe Stump and I were talking this week about because he's a big reader, too. And you know, I realized in that one of the great things that I'm most happy about is my ability to recall things that I and get them in there and be able to recall them at a certain now point. Yeah. Joe yeah. brought that up at the, at the breakthrough blueprint because I've read so much stuff and seeing and had not only, but read it, but have applied <coughs> and gotten insight. Like there's something, there's a different level of insight when you've read something that stimulated a thought 
to experiment with something or to try something and then to see the actual result that comes from it that just deepens the the neural pathways there and yeah I think well about i think that i think we're both opportunist readers yeah in other words that like i both of us in the colby profile have a short fact finder i don't know right. what yours is what yeah, yours your yeah. your oh geez Wow, I can't even see that far up. I'm, I'm, I'm a practically two. a librarian <laughs> compared to you. Yeah. I'm a two, and yet uh-huh. I have thousands of facts. Yeah. And but I don't need any of them to make a decision. Right. And that's the difference in the Colby and I. David Colby, who's you know, is uh, Kathy's son. He's now the CEO of the company, and he was in his workshop. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, and I was telling him, you know, I've got a insight on the Copy profile. Since David's here, I just wondered how he would look at that. And I said, what the what each of the four fact finder, follow through, quick start, implementer says, what has to be true before you can make a decision? Mm-hmm. Okay, and with fact finder, you need a lot of facts before you feel confident to make a decision. Okay, that's the fact finder. With the follow through, you have to create a whole system of action and teamwork that's there before you'll make a decision to go forward. So they're organizers, implementer or follow throughs yeah. are organizers. And, and then I'll go to the fourth one, which is implementer. You need some sort of physical thing, hands-on physical thing, before you can make a decision. Mm-hmm. So you need to, you know, you have to have a, you have to have a whiteboard there. You have to have slides. You have to, you know, you have to have yeah. objects that you can demonstrate, or you need to be in a particular physical setting so that you can demonstrate it. Quick starts are the one that you can't find out anything until you first make the decision. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Oh, that's so funny. It's true. And he said, he said, wow. He says, that certainly explains me. He's a long quick, he's a long quick start. And I said, I need absolutely nothing to make a decision, but then I really have to scramble to figure out whether I've just made a right decision or not. Right. But no fact before a decision is useful to me. The only yeah. the, the only facts are the facts that start showing up, you know, <laughs> frantically right. the facts After are the... showing up after I've made it. Yeah, I don't get the rabbits out of the bushes until I've made it. I kind of like being a four. I think I, I I feel like that I have just the right amount of fact finding and follow through. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm a four in both. And so that means I'm accommodating to it barely, yeah. but I'm not resistant. I'm out of the resistant zone of it. So yeah. I think yeah. that helps. I can understand it. But a really zero, funny. I mean, one, no of my, one of my implementer. favorite long-term clients that I just love being with and talking is Sasha Kersmer, who's yeah. the number one site surveying company in Toronto. He's got 80% of the projects right now where they acquire a big tower crane. So there's about 250 of them in Toronto right now. GTA, this is the greater Toronto area. And he's got 80%. It was so funny because he was telling me, he said, you know, I really thought about this for a long time, but I'm making a bid to acquire my biggest competitor. And I said, Sasha, <clears throat> you have 80% of the market. Your number one competitor can't be big. <laughs> right. <laughs> can't be big. Right, right, right. <laughs> He's not a big competitor. He's not a right. big competitor. Not neck and neck. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's a nine fact finder, and he's a two quick start. Okay. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. And I and people, you well, know, people often say as a surveyor that that makes oh, total sense. Yeah. Last thing you and, need is uh, an innovative surveyor. <laughs> yeah, or a nervous, 
you know, or you know, uh, an anxious surveyor, or, a, or you know, a distracted surveyor. <laughs> you know, you don't want any of that. You want, right? You know, yeah. And so it was so funny. We were talking in a workshop where Colby was being talked about, and I said, you know, a lot of people have this mistaken idea that the creative people are the quick starts. And I said, I said, each profile is completely creative as long as they've done the preparation to right start being creative mm-hmm. said the only difference between i said the only difference between sasha at 92 and me at 210 is that sasha has to prepare 8 8 years earlier <laughs> right, if right right if, right if we're yeah. both starting creativity today Sasha started eight years ago, and I just thought of it this morning when I was having yeah. breakfast. Yeah. But, you know, and there's all sorts of other factors like who, not how, and mm-hmm. everything that determine whether you're going to be successful. I do think this. I think that quick starts are in the best position to, especially long quick starts, nine or 10, are in the best position to immediately take advantage of the who, not how concept, because we have no desire to do any of that how stuff. Right. That's exactly right. I've been playing around with the, imagine if you applied yourself as parsing out each of the words as one step in the system. And it's really, you know, what I've got so far is the imagine part is the <laughs> visualizing right like you can visualize what you're what you're trying to create and the if is the well what would have to take place in order for that to actually happen like getting clear on the you're putting a little almost like creating up the blueprints for something and then yeah. you <laughs> the center of the thing i'm thinking of it as a progressive tool of trying to figure yeah. out how to create a thinking tool out of it. So that's all the, this is on the theoretical side, is the vision and the if, imagine if, and then you at the center, but on the other side, through you, is applied, meaning that you decided this is what we're going to do, this is when, this is when it's going to happen, and who's doing it. And, the, and then yourself yourself with the space between your and self, not yourself, your self, meaning what is the part of this that only that you can contribute to this, but surrounding yourself with who's that make it all happen. I think there's really something to it, Dan. Yep. I'm already seeing it as a tool laid out. It's a little, it's, I'd have to do yourself as one if I'm going to get it on the page. Yeah, no, yourself as one, but I mean, just that's the one. But, I, but I would have, I'd have imagine first column. I'd have if yes. on second column. I'd have you third column. I'd have applied as the fourth column and yourself as the fifth column. Right. Okay. And then ask a little question underneath each one of those. Yeah. Uh, You know, and first of all, you know, the teachers who told you that they were very good at teaching people how to apply themselves. What they were really weak on was teaching people how to imagine. (laughs) Yeah, it's the truth. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you you were missing the part of the educational system that it involved imagining. Yeah. yeah. But I thought, yeah. you know, that there's as I'm thinking it through, all you have a tool for every one of those. Your imagine is an impact yeah. filter. And yeah. It yeah. is the strategy circle. <laughs> you know, and it's like the there's really something uh, Well, something I think there. vision capability and reach is a yeah. perfect tool, you know, be it makes room for everybody who's going to be involved if each person's just doing the right thing and they're yeah. working together as a team, you know. So yeah. I think it's really good. Yeah. Anyway, we're uh, past the magic hour. Love, love all yeah. This is a special hurricane. Uh, hurricane episode, edition. Uh, hurricane edition, but uh, got a lot, lot of interesting areas out of this. But you know, you know, people, I'm sure people in Florida have a lot of skill of dealing with this, the emergency services, and 
you know, and every plywood dealer within a thousand miles has got a truck going, uh, semi trucks going to Florida with plywood. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, remember Norm Cunnigan? Did you ever meet Norm? He, Norm Dunnigan. From, yeah. Norm Dunnigan from South South Carolina. Yeah, he's become and, a good friend. And he came up to his workshop in Chicago, and it was right after a real hit that came in on. It didn't hit Florida. It came right and hit South Carolina head on. And I said, Norm, you look like a happy man. <clears throat> and he said, well, you know, he said, I got to be really careful, you know, back where I come from. But he said, I have to admit, I truly do love a really good hurricane every once in a while. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Because he got to clean it up. He got this That's little fiber. Exactly right. Yeah, 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 and uh, you know I'm sure there there's new teamwork. You have pancake houses in Florida because they have a whole. They're probably the best organization in America for dealing with. That's right, the um, Waffle House. Yeah, yeah, the Waffle House, the Waffle House. Yeah, yeah, they've got a whole plan, and I bet they were 24/7 within two hours after the hurricane passed. I, I bet, bet they were you're right. Yeah. I bet they had their generator going, they had the meals going, they had the trucks out. Yeah. yeah. That's it. All right, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will, we're, uh, I'll talk to you next next week. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. But next week I'm on the way back from the cottage because oh, oh, okay. we're going up north for Thanksgiving. Okay. Perfect. Canadian Thanksgiving. Two weeks. Two weeks from now. Perfect. I'll be here. Okay, bye. Thanks, Dan. Bye.